You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, uh, coming to you on this fine Sunday evening. It's quite late, and uh, when it's quite late, that means Scott Cole is with me. So what's up, Scott? That's right. One of the perks of the West Coast. It's only about 7.45 my time, obviously a lot later for you, but glad to be on and kind of crazy. We're already uh, about a month out from the season being over. Yeah, I, I take full advantage of you when I'm traveling and have to record late, and I know that it's not late for you, so it works out good. Uh, you know, we were talking about before we started recording, but it's sort of uh, that point in the year where it's like almost not fun or worth it to talk about day-to-day in terms of what the Braves have done. Obviously, they have not won back-to-back games now since October 4th, and, I mean, sorry, August 4th and 5th, uh, which is, you know, more than three weeks away since, since they've actually won back-to-back games, and this is not going particularly well. Uh, anything, uh, I guess, just before we get going here, they, they lost again Sunday, 3 nothing. It was not uh, the worst loss of the season by any means, but... Uh, sort of a standard operating procedure, frustrating loss um, in, in recent times. That's not, does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I mean, they certainly had their opportunities today. John Gray shut them down. Um, just, you know, kind of more of the same from Fulte. I thought it was encouraging that um, he was able to kind of bounce back after a really tough start. And uh, the zone was pretty small. And, and, you know, with him, if he gets a, you know, <laughs> what he thinks is a strike, call the ball a couple times, he seems to kind of lose it. Um, he was able to kind of buckle in or uh, buckle down, and, and uh, I think it was five innings, a one-run ball, struck out six. Um, so that was encouraging, especially after he got impounded in his last three or four starts. But um, again, disappointing to see him lose another series. Um, and now they go to Philly, uh, which has been a house of horrors this year. But uh, maybe they're able to kind of right the ship there before getting to uh, Chicago for a four-game series next weekend. Yeah, I mean, Fulte had like 70 pitches through three innings, and it was like this, uh, there was this vacuum on Twitter of people talking about whether he was pitching well or not. Uh, he certainly wasn't pitching well, but the numbers weren't awful early on, and I thought he definitely got better, um, you know, inning, inning four and five it was an improvement, and uh, getting through five was something to at least be uh, mindful of based on what's based on how the uh, start began. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, not, not a ton of positives to talk about. I, was, I looked up the uh, sort of the projection systems uh, before, um, well, before and after the game today. Uh, 538's projection system now has the Braves uh, likely to finish at 72 and 90. That's updated sort of in real time, so that's the most accurate ones right now. The other two I looked up were Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus, which are as of Sunday morning before the loss, and they both had the Braves around 73 and 89, which is kind of where they've been hovering for a while now, but it keeps getting a little bit lower uh, every one, like every couple of days, just because if you if you never went back to bed games, it's, it's tough to uh, sort of get uh, over that hump a little bit. It looks like it's going to be an under if, if you are uh, 
uh, Vegas inclined to the number, you know, sort of all over the place early on in the summer, early on in the winter, I should say, it was 71 and a half. That's still in play, but by the end, by the end, it was like 75 and a half. That's looking uglier and uglier by the day. So we don't have to get super deep into that because it's still, it's still, it's still August. There's still time to talk about that, but uh, worth noting if you're uh, sweating those out, it's not gone particularly well lately. Um, the big item in terms of news for me, in terms of, you know, Looking backward this week was the uh, the notion that Freddie Freeman admitted on the record that his wrist is not 100. percent That's like almost six, that's like almost six seven days ago now, but it's uh, since last time we recorded on the podcast, so I have not had a chance to weigh in on it. Uh, this definitely set off a bunch of antennas for me. But what was your first thought when you read that thing from Dob about um, Freeman sort of again on the record saying that he wasn't 100 percent healthy? I think it's concerning anytime uh, you know you, your franchise isn't 100 percent healthy and he's admitting that his wrist and isn't healthy is, is concerning. Now, I would hope I we can't pretend to know what goes on in the Braves' training room and what the doctors tell Freddie. I would sure hope that the doctor said, well, even if it doesn't feel 100%, he can't really damage it. Um, just being the skeptic that I am, I, I would really be hesitant to, to run him out there. But so far, um, you know, he obviously hasn't hit quite as well since before the injury, but he seems fine. He seems to be healthy. For me, though, just given the Braves' um, we'll call it liberal stance with playing players through injuries and then they get worse, um, it was a concern to see that Freddie admitted he wasn't 100%. And obviously, they, they better cross their fingers and close their eyes that that something else doesn't happen to his wrist and it becomes a you know a lingering issue for him in his career. Yeah, I mean that came out on uh, on Tuesday. Basically, Friedman saying that he was only eighty to eighty five percent healthy. Whatever that means, I mean anything like that is kind of a guess always, just because um, guys are uh, asked to evaluate their own bodies. But still, like it, I don't know. For me, it was definitely something that set off alarm bells, just because the Braves have this have, have this track record now where they've not done the best job in terms of maintaining guys. Um, you know, the health stuff. There's been some curious activity in the last couple of years we should say you know Freddie's still been great this year but the numbers have trailed off as you, as you kind of said there since he came back and um not not again not not trailed off like for any other any other human being his numbers are fine um but the way that he was hitting before the injury versus the versus after the injury has definitely been noteworthy so uh, i'm inclined to take it easy on him but i think freddie's been pretty on the record and like he doesn't like to sit out um, when he when he can play, um, and there was the whole thing. My my big issue, honestly, was the fact that he was moved to third base while not being 100 percent healthy. Like that's insane. Um, and now he's playing first base again, which is where he should be playing. But uh, the fact that he played well at third base with 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 a messed up wrist is kind of funny uh, in itself. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Just the. The the overarching thing for me is that from a management standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to uh, not that they were rushing him back, but to have him out there every single day um, when he's not healthy and saying he's not healthy, and then have the position change, all those things. It's just not the greatest look in the world, I don't think. Yeah, and you mentioned the third base thing, and it's like, well, what was what was his wrist like when he was playing third base every right. day? I you just know, don't get and, it. And, and yes, I mean, you know, you say this now, and it's true, Freddie didn't get, you know get hurt when he was playing third base. Um, but I just felt like this was kind of an unnecessary risk for a season where, you know, even if you, you know, you're the, you're the biggest believer in the Braves in the world and thought they were going to, when they hit 500, just after the break, you thought they were going to make a push. Um, even, you know, even if you're the biggest believer in the world, you really have to kind of ask yourself, is it all worth it? Um, I'm not so sure. Thankfully, nothing worse came of it, but it, it, in hindsight, it was probably a risk that wasn't worth taking. Who knows exactly what's going on again in those you know, medical rooms and on trainer's table. We'll never know, but um, it, it's fortunate that something worse didn't come of or there wasn't a uh, lingering effect to the injury. 
Yeah, just from the arbitrary endpoints uh, of it all uh, since the since the All Star break. So second half, this is kind of how these things deliberate, uh, delineate, I, I should say, in the stats. His uh, WRC plus is uh, quote-unquote only 119, where it was uh, way, way above that. It was, it was actually 200 uh, before, before the break, which is crazy. Um, so he's been uh, human, if not very, very good still, but human since then. So that's, uh, again, an arbitrary endpoint, but uh, worth noting. And that's something that I wanted to talk about, even though it's been a few days. Um, other than that, I mean, everything else is sort of just newsy um, in terms of, uh, you know, A.J. Mincher made his uh, debut earlier this week, looked good uh, in that start, did not look as good today as we could talk about. But what have you seen from him? Sort of, it's all it's all small sample, but I was excited to at least see him up because he's a guy a lot of people have been excited about. Yeah, me too. It seems like Mincher has kind of been on the doorstep for a year and a half now, and, and he's, um, of course, in college had a little bit of a, a health issue, had a Tommy John surgery, so that you always kind of hold your breath with that, but you know, he's a guy with electric stuff. He can obviously get batters out at the big league level. Um, left a ball up to Mark Reynolds today, but you know that, that's going to happen inevitably, especially being a lefty. Uh, he's going to leave something up on occasion to a righty. But I was glad the Braves were able to bring him up and put him into a you know a decently important situation. Um, one thing I, I find pretty useless for prospects is when they only get to pitch in like the ninth inning of games that are eight to one. Um, similar to what the Braves did with Max Freed for a couple weeks before sending him down. I just I just don't think the that's the you really get much out of that. But either way, um, glad to see Minter up. I think he's somebody who certainly has a future in the in the bullpen next year. Um, for him to get kind of a six week trial run in the in the pen, hopefully Snit over the next uh, month or so is able to get him into some high leverage situations. Um, you know, see what he can do before uh, before heading into 2018. Yeah, I mean it's. <sighs> I'm kind of with you that it's tough to really garner much from these kind of appearances. But, you know, we, here's another month of this. Maybe we'll see him in some more high leverage stuff. Um, obviously, today's appearance was not uh, throwaway. I mean, it was, it was the game was close enough to where, where it didn't matter when he, when he came in. So that's good to see good to see him pitch in that kind of situation. And Mark Reynolds can kind of hammer on anybody. Uh, recently, he's been kind of incredible this year for Colorado. It's just, it's just a sidebar. So uh, I'm excited about Mentor. We'll see what happens. But uh, worth noting that he did make his debut. He's up. And that's uh, one of the guys that's worth closely monitoring in the next month or so. Uh, another guy, of course, that's sort of always worth monitoring is Dansby Swanson. We talked about him a little bit last week, but... Um, I just wanted to point out that he's been quite good, actually, since yeah. returning. Uh, OPS uh, almost almost 900. It's like a 70. It's like a 70 plate appearance sample. So, um, you know, keep your guard up a little bit. But uh, at least some positive things. He was one for three today. Nothing, uh, nothing huge. Nothing crazy noteworthy. But he has been good. And people, I, mean, I think, people are sort of guilty at looking at his here's uh, year long numbers still and just saying, oh, that's really bad. It's like, yeah, we we know it's really bad. But since he came back up, it's been pretty good. I think uh, with Dansby, and, and somebody mentioned it today, that yes, his BABIP has been much higher since coming back, and yes. that's and all. But when you look at what he was maybe two months ago with the play, I mean, he was lost. And I think part of that is, is of course, his fault. And I think part of it, too, is when he started playing once every three or four days. Um, but look, he's too talented of a player to have a, you know, a 600 OPS or whatever it was the first couple months of the year. Um, he's hitting the ball hard. He changed his stance a little bit, nothing, you know, dramatic, but just kind of changed his feet and, um, how he loads with a swing and everything like that. Um, it's all encouraging. It's, he's not, if you watch his advance now, teams aren't able to just pepper him with sliders and breaking stuff. Um, whereas if you watched him in June or July, 
he was lucky to maybe get one fastball in at bat. They just kind of threw him junk, and he would swing at it and miss it. Um, his strikeout rate has gone down since coming back. Um, it sounds like he got a lot of good work in, even though it was a shortened time in Gwinnett. Um, you know, he was able to just kind of take a take a step back, and and I think that. You know, from afar, we see it and on a daily basis. You want everyone to do well, but it is—it's such a grind playing 162. Uh, and naturally, with being a number one pick, uh, expectations are going to be sky high. You know, it's—it's it's, everything's monitored closely. Um, and, and here's hoping it's kind of a sign of things to come over the next month. He's playing well. Um, whether or not you want to believe it, he seems to play well whenever Ozzy Albies is to his left. Um, you know, let's hope that he and, and Ozzy too, who had a great week, um, were able to, to play well in September and just, you know, kind of solidify up the middle for the Braves, not just next year, but obviously, uh, down the road, because those are two, uh, two of the most important guys in the organization. If the Braves are going to come out of this rebuild, uh, as a competitive team. Yeah. And you, you just wanted to see some positive signs from Swanson. You mentioned kind of what they've been, so I'm not going to rehash them, but uh, him coming back up a little bit faster than I think the Braves wanted him to with the Camargo injury, uh, not ideal, but the fact that he came back and was ready to go and kind of made some adjustments that we've been able to actually tangibly see is encouraging. He's still 23. I mean, the pedigree is there. We all kind of know that. Uh, next year's going to be a big year for Swanson. I don't think there's too much he can prove in the next month, although it would be nice to see him continue to hit a little bit. You know, 2018 is going to tell us more for sure about, you know, most of these young guys, but especially Swanson as someone who had the good the good breakout last year and then this year not gone the way that anybody wanted it to go, including himself. So uh, something just to talk about and the fact that he has been better, and that's uh, that's definitely an encouraging thing. Uh, from an encouraging thing to a not-so-encouraging thing, uh, I kind of ne- neglected to talk about this last week, but uh, Jim Johnson, um, he Ugh. did he did pitch better today. Uh, he, he finished the game. <laughs> he, he didn't give up a run. Right, he didn't, he didn't give up a run. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I will say uh, there was a four-appearance sample um, from August 13th through August 23rd in which Jim Johnson allowed 11 earned runs in uh, two and a third innings. Um, so the ERA of 42.43 in those four appearances. Uh, I will say the uh, appearance uh, against the Mariners in which he did not record an out was, I think, the worst I've seen anyone pitch in the majors this season. Just uh, It just looked objectively terrible, not just the results, but uh, just the way that, he, you know, just everything. You couldn't hit a spot, just getting peppered all over the place. It was not... Uh, let's, just not, let's just say it was not a bad uh, issue with, with Johnson in that start. He just absolutely looked terrible. Um, I mean, not a whole lot to take away from that other than the Braves owe him money for next year. So, I um, mean, yeah. we can kind of agree he's been bad. But what happens with him now? As you mentioned, he's owed $5 million next year. I know I was reading the other day and a couple people were like, yeah, just trade him this offseason. <laughs> trade him for what? I don't. Yeah, you know, if, if he was a kid, you could send him down, or you know, similar to, um, you know, like the Mauricio Cabrera situation, which is certainly apples and oranges. But you know, you can't just send Jim Johnson down to the minor leagues and hope he figures it out. Um, he had a, there was a column today saying that he feels like he's making progress. Um, I guess so. If <laughs> as we said today, he didn't give up a run, um, but he's owed five million for next year. So I think that if you're the Braves, you just kind of have to go into next season with him on your roster and you hope that he's able to regain his form because he really was quite good the last year and a half since coming over. Um, the last month has been absolutely brutal, but you're kind of on the hook for $5 million, and unless some team is really desperate for a struggling uh, reliever in his mid-30s, uh, I, I can't imagine anyone's going to want him. 
so hopefully, even if he's a sixth or seventh inning guy, I, I don't, I can't imagine he suddenly figures it out again, at least this year, and becomes a reliable eighth, ninth inning guy. But maybe he's able to just kind of reset over the winter um, and become a bullpen asset next year because um, they're kind of on the hook for him either way, and it would be a real shame to just have to DFA or release somebody um, who's on the hook for you know a significant amount of money next year. Yeah, they're not going to do that. People were calling for his head uh, during that run. And listen, I understand it because he was that bad for a four-appearance for a four sample. But uh, a guy they owe that kind of money to for next year, they're not just going to cut. Uh, I mean, they might give him the phantom DL injury at some point, potentially. But this is also a guy in Johnson that has had success and has had failure at different times in his career. It's not This is like unprecedented for him. He, he was very, very good in Baltimore. Then he hit this like two-year stretch where he was basically unemployable. And then when he came to Atlanta, he was good again. So, like, this has happened to Jim Johnson before. I'm not saying it's going to happen again. Like, he is 34. He's not super old, but at the same time, like, he's not guaranteed to bounce back. But if you go, if you owe a guy $5 million for next year, they're not going to cut him. They're just not going to do that. I mean, maybe, yeah. in spring, maybe in spring training next year, they look at him and say, all right, you're a lost cause, and then they cut him then uh, and just kind of eat the money. But with time left in this season, uh, they're going to give him every chance, especially not in a pennant race, give him every chance to sort of pitch out of this and get, find something. And if they can't, maybe DL him and then give him the offseason to kind of get things right again. But I just can't imagine them actually cutting him. And uh, you know, He pitched again today, so he's not going to get cut. It's just not going to happen. No. I, I, I'd be stunned if they did that. Uh, there's no reason to, frankly. I mean, again, the team's not going to be competing this year for anything. They'd have to win out, essentially, uh, to be competing for anything this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where – it's going to be bad to watch. It was really, really, really bad to watch for about two weeks there. But uh, Jim Johnson might be around for a while. And uh, I think the earliest he's not on the team, unless for some reason somebody wants to trade for him, which I can't imagine happening in the winter. Um, no. We'll see him in the spring. And then if that goes badly, then maybe they cut ties then. By the way, the Braves' uh, elimination number is 21. 21 in the wild card. I just looked it up. 21 Ooh. in the wild card. And uh, 15 in the East could be down to 14 if the, the Nationals hang on to beat the Mets tonight. But, yeah, it's uh, I just looked it up, actually. So when the Braves swept the Diamondbacks on July 16th and moved up to 45 and 45, yep. uh, they are 12 and 26 since that sweep. 12 and 26 since they swept the D-backs to open up the second half. Everybody was, yeah, here they come. Maybe they'll somehow stay in this thing and make things interesting. Um, and they've lost more than two out of three uh, basically ever since then. So not ideal. Not ideal um, at all, we should say. But uh, listen, it was always going to happen. Uh, I wouldn't have projected this kind of just downfall over 38 games like they did. But we talked about it then. You and I talked about it on the podcast. I think we are, our, I think our amended predictions were like 76, 77 wins. So we're, we're going to yeah. be wrong, uh, quote unquote wrong on that. But it's not like we were uh, sold either. So um, yeah. yeah, anyway. Not a huge surprise, but it's gone worse than I think most people would have predicted. Um, speaking of things that were predicted, uh, interestingly, early on and that have kind of changed since then, uh, a lot of people were talking to both the Talking Chop account on Twitter and, and to me in the last couple of days about um, Sudrest Park and kind of how it plays um, as a hitter's park or pitcher's park. There's been a lot of stuff, I think, on the broadcast locally that talks about kind of uh, Sudrest Park still being this massive hitter's park. I was looking at this uh, this week and wanted to bring it up on the podcast. Um, ESPN's Park Factors um, statistic um, through Saturday had Central Park at number 18 in baseball. Um, that's the 18th, um, basically the 18th slanted towards the hitters. Like Coursefield's number one, for instance. Number 30 is Minute Maid Park. 
Uh, yeah, so basically, if anything, Central Spark is leaning toward Pitcher Spark. It's definitely uh, further in that direction so far. Again, I don't want to make huge conclusions about this because it's only year one, and normally this stuff needs multiple seasons, but there's this narrative out there that's like, oh, this is like Coors Field East or Coors Field Southeast, and maybe if it's not overstated to that degree, I think people are, most people, uh, I guess the conventional wisdom appears to be that the Braves are playing in this bandbox, and it's just not been that. Yeah, it's interesting how the first couple series of the year when, you know, the Braves were throwing out Bartolo when he was really struggling, Julio when he was really struggling, even Dickey, you know, the first month and a half of the season was just downright awful. Uh, you know, it's easy to how the first month or so of a season and really the first month in a new ballpark can kind of shape an image of something. Um, but as you said, it's it's not a hitter's paradise. I think it'll play, you know, with with seventy five percent of a year, whatever worth of data. Um, obviously, it'll be interesting to see what Centros Park looks like after three seasons or even five seasons. That's when you truly get a real sense of how a park plays. But you know, I think it it, it plays more hitter friendly than Turner Field did. But you know, anybody who you know, Chipper Jones said, uh, you know, his line is they they didn't consult with the hitters whenever they built Turner Field. So I think naturally, when you see a couple of cheap ones go over the left or right field wall at SunTrust, you're going to think, oh, it's a it's a hitter's park, and it's really not. I mean, it, it seems to be playing pretty fairly, just right down the middle. Um, and hopefully, as as time passes and people realize, oh, this isn't Coors Field East, um, that kind of notion goes away. That that little. Uh, um, just kind of the whole thing of, hey, the Braves play in this new hitter's paradise. It's just not right, and um, having to hear it in every single broadcast isn't ideal. But, hey, um, again, hopefully over the next year or two that kind of dies out and they see it was more just a, a product of the Braves' pitching staff to open the year instead of, instead of the park itself. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to just declare that it's not uh, a hitter's park maybe by a little bit right now because it could be. It could be that, but I think you kind of know with the full season of data that it's not going to be like a top five hitters park in baseball. It's just not going to be that. If it's eight, if you're if it ranks eighteen through you know a hundred plus, I guess fifty plus home games, it's not going to be Coors Field. It's just not. So yeah, it's just got to be you know more data is going to be uh, our, our friend on this one, and hopefully the people that talk about this stuff on a regular basis in prominent places, because I think. Uh, some people are starting to figure this out. Others are not. Um, and we'll see We'll see if that changes in the next couple of days, <laughs> weeks, and months, and all those things. But I think it's worth talking about, especially because people were sort of pestering us with that uh, at the Talking Chop Twitter account, which I appreciate everybody following. Please follow us on Twitter at Talking Chop. But uh, it's been funny to uh, sort of see people getting mad about that in the last couple of days. Uh, okay, the uh, the next thing and pr- sort of the last like main topic before we get to the mailbag is that September call-ups are here. You know, by the time we, we do our next podcast next Sunday, it'll be uh, into September, and I, I'm assuming the roster will be expanded uh, at least to some degree. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the Braves are going to go to 40 by any means, but they're going to uh, they're going to definitely expand the rosters in the next couple of days. I'm wondering what you think is going to happen, what you think should happen. Mm-hmm. Very, two very different questions, yep. by the way, and then we'll get to the sort of the elephant <laughs> in the room with Ronald Acuna because he's the one big topic, but they're. Uh, Aside from him, who we'll get to in a second, is there anybody that you think will be coming or should be coming? I think the two obvious ones, Akil Morris, who I'm really not sure why he was sent down in the first place. I I truly have no idea why because he was throwing really well. But Akil Morris for the bullpen, I think he's somebody who in 2018 and beyond can be a real weapon, especially with that changeup. Um, and then Micah Johnson kind of got the shaft when Matt Kemp came back. I think he was up with the team for about 36 hours, um, kind of a 4A player, but um, someone who who has speed and a little versatility. 
Um, so I would imagine those two come up. Um, the other guy, and I was I was tweeting about him the other day, is Rio Ruiz, which is the toughest name in the world to say. But Rio uh, has quietly had a really nice year since going down to Gwinnett. He's caught fire lately. Um, his WRC Plus is about 115 um, through a chunk of games. Uh, and we can probably discuss next year for you know another hour. But Rio is somebody who I think will be in the mix for third base next season. And I would like to see him get some starts at third um, in September, especially over you know Brandon Phillips, who's having an okay year, but clearly isn't part of the Braves' future plans. Um, I would like to see Rio come up and see what he can do. He, he kind of flashed at times that, that he could hit big league pitching, but really struggled, um, also struggled against lefties. And I'd like to see him get a chance. So I would imagine Morris and Johnson for sure come up. And I would like to think that, that Rio would get a chance to prove himself a third Again, um, at this point in the year with with the team where they're at now, uh, I would much rather give the starts to the 23-year-old than to the 36-year-old who, you know, is going to be a free agent in, in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm with you on pretty much all of that. I mean, yeah, Morris is the one that doesn't make, never made sense, but Ruiz... There's no reason not to bring him up at this point because uh, he's already been up. It's not you know. There's no service time stuff there. He's going to be coming up, I would imagine. Uh, anybody on the pitching side, I think Max Free would be logical, but I'm not. They're doing this weird thing where they're trying to mess with his innings. It looks like I mean he's pitching as a starter again, Gwinnett, which is interesting. Uh, maybe they don't want to bring him up to the majors again just because he might have to come out of the bullpen potentially. Uh, that's yeah. a guy to keep an eye on. You know, Aaron Blair. I'm assuming will be up at some point. Um, I don't know, man. There's not a ton of uh, intrigue beyond yeah. the guys who, you know, Morris and Ruiz are the interesting guys. Johnson's going to come up, I'm sure. Um, I'm not terribly excited about Michael Johnson, but he'll be an extra an extra body to have that can do some things for you. But I mean, the big the big intriguing thing is Ronald Acuna, which, which we can talk about now. We spent a lot of time last week talking about just him as a player with Eric, but I think it's a, it really is a debate as to whether you should bring him up now. Um, just because, you know, logistically, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world if you want to call him up. You have to add him to 40 men, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of where are you at with Acuna and the, and the prospect that we could see him this week? You know, I seem to go back and forth on it. Um, look, if the Braves called up Ronald Acuna tomorrow, I don't think there's anybody in the world who would be upset. Um, <laughs> oh, so, hold on. Someone, someone would be, I'm sure. That's someone true. It's, it's Twitter in 2017. Somebody would be upset. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, with Ron, I mean – his numbers are video game like in AAA. Um, the issue is, and you mentioned the forty man roster, and, and I'm sure they could find some space for him one way or the other. But um, if you bring him up, it, it basically requires Nick Markakis or Matt Kevin to get benched, and that's a very real thing for a front office to do. And and if you're the Braves, as fun as it would be as a fan to see Acuna come up. Do you sit Nick Markakis for the next five weeks? Do you sit Matt Kemp for the next five weeks? I guess an injury could could bring something, but um, if they're healthy, I, I don't know what kind of message it sends. If if Matt Kemp, who is signed for another two years, if you say, "Hey Matt, we're going to bench you for the next two months for or for the next month for this kid who you know has something like 150 minor league games under his belt over the last two seasons." Um, Obviously, Ronald's a freak. I think he's going to be a star player. I just, I'm not sure that right now is the right time to bring him up. Um, he could use more seasoning. The Arizona Fall League gets going here in October. I would like to see him come out here, uh, both for selfish reasons, but I think he could, he would benefit from the, the extra development. I'm just not sure, unless the Braves are going to flat out tell Markakis or Kemp, hey, you're, you're not going to play every day when Acuna comes up. I'm just not sure. Um, logistically, how how that's going to play out? Yep, I think we're pretty much locked up on that. I just think that 
Um, I, I wouldn't do it. I said that on last week's podcast, podcast sort of in passing. I wouldn't do it now for all those reasons and the fact that, look, look man, uh, you started the year in A, like, in, <laughs> in A ball. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's at least possible that we're talking about a, a situation where if he comes up, it's it's a mistake um, for reasons that go beyond um, situational stuff with Mark Higgins and stuff. He, he might not be ready for that. I know he's been incredible. I know – I don't think he'd embarrass himself or anything like that. I just think you – know, no. he's, he's I mean, not, he would – He's 19, man. <laughs> Yeah, he would come up and be better than Nick Markakis. Like I would I'm put sure, money yeah. off that yeah. without a doubt in Matt Kemp. I mean, but that's not hard to do. But um, without a doubt, it would be an on-field improvement to play him over Markakis or Kemp every day. But I'm with you. I just don't think the time is necessarily right because I don't know how that plays just to flat-out bench a, a long-time veteran who both are – I mean, if Markakis was a free agent in a month, it's like, all right, whatever. You know, thanks for your time. But Markakis is signed next next year and Kemp is signed for two more years. So I just don't know how that, that player meeting goes. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, there was this – I guess people are talking about this in sort of offhanded fashion like – that's the only way you do this is if you, you can't bring up Ronald Acuna and not play him. Like he's got to right. play every day. Like there's no reason whatsoever. I mean, if you already had an injury, if Kemp was on the DL like already and say, Hey Matt, just take your time coming back kind of thing. Um, but like these guys are in the lineup every day right now. Like you're not going to fake an injury for Matt Kemp or Nick Marcakis. Like you have to basically say, as you said, there, like, all right, man, have a seat. And maybe you don't want to do it to one up to both of them. So maybe you have them both like platoon, but like, uh, what does that it do? Just, like, it's yeah, just, it just it's seems bad. messy. Yeah, it's it's something you just can't do with without the situation where one of those guys is a free agent and neither one of them are. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it would surprise me if they brought him up. It would not shock me at all. Um, the Braves have been very very aggressive with some of these promotions. Um, um, both ones that I've liked and not liked in terms of, of the promotions recently, and that you know that that continues to be a trend. So it wouldn't blow me away. Um, I think the consensus is probably that it's not going to happen, but if it happens this week, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking about it next week, there's no question about that, and I'll be excited <laughs> about it. I mean, I'll be I'll be watching every game for the rest of the year if if Acuna's playing, but I don't know. Oh, yes, it's wild. Yeah, I think it's you know we say without an injury, like Matt Kemp hasn't had hamstring problems right. since like the second week of the season, so tomorrow he could be chasing down a ball in Philly and pull a hamstring, and you know, guess who's starting in left field on Tuesday night? But if everyone's healthy and it's obviously impossible to predict an injury and I would never want an injury for, for a player, um, barring injury, I think it's just such a better decision to let him finish out the year in Gwinnett, get some more at bats, uh, give him a month off and then send him out to the Arizona fall league, partly so I can see him in person. Um, but partly for him to get some, you know, continued at bats, uh, against good competition. People forget that last year he, he broke, I think his hand or his thumb, um, and only played in about 40 games last season. Um, and before that, he only played in about 50 in his first taste of America, uh, you know, when he came over to the, to America to play. Um, you know, this is not a 24-year-old who's tearing up AAA and it's like, all right, well, it's time to figure it out. Um, as you said, he's, I mean, he's 19. He won't turn 20 until around Christmas time. Um, there's zero reason to push him. And trust me, I would be much more inclined to, to tune into every at-bat for the Braves if, if Acuna's in left field or right field. But um, I just don't think it's going to happen. I would imagine next year opening day is much more likely. Yep, I'm with you all the way. And again, by the way, just for clar- for clarity's sake, even if Kemp like, tweaked the hamstring tomorrow, I would not do it. That, that's where yeah, I am I'm, with it. Yeah, I just yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, well, uh, let's we can blow through the mailbag here. Um, actually, there's there's an Acuna related question we can hit on from uh, Patrick Dable that uh, asks what what is Acuna's ideal batting position in the batting order, and he he says he feels like it's number two, 
but uh, basically the question uh, surrounds the uh, the quintet of uh, Acuna, Ender Inciarte, Daisy Swanson, Ozzy Albies, and Freddie Freeman. That's sort of the uh, the five man core that the Braves have working right now. I know yeah. this is we're, we're getting way way ahead of ourselves, but it's 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 a podcast. It's fun. So uh, walk yeah. me through it, Scott. Go ahead. I I would say. I mean, I, I would imagine Ender stays at leadoff. I'd probably put Acuna second, maybe not right off the bat. Um, I do think partly why Dansby struggled a little bit this year is because he was pushed up to two so early on. Um, I would like to see him break in in the bottom half of the order and then move him up as he, you know, kind of figures out the league. But ideally, you know, when he becomes Mike Trout in a couple of years, uh, you know, you put Acuna second and Freddie third. Um, you, you know, the, the numbers show that your best hitter should bat second. Um, obviously, don't tell Hayward, Snit. Don't tell uh, him. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> when uh, I had when to, Hayward, sorry. I know. Well, you can't change a man who's doing what he's doing. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Hayward. I know everyone now. It's easy to to forget just how good Jason was as a as a rookie in 2010 when he hit second all year. Um, it, it's so beneficial to have a prolific hitter hitting second, um, and with his speed, his power. Um, pretty good contact rates. Ideally, he's hitting, hitting second between Ender um, or Ozzy Albies, whoever's leading off, um, and Freddie third. But, um, you know, best case scenario, everybody works out, everyone's hitting well, and it's a good problem to have. Um, but at least for, you know, if he does come up this month and, and next year, I would hope that he's he's kind of brought along slowly and hits seventh or eighth um, until he, he just kind of takes over and then you can you can move him up at will. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I mean, it's it's almost too easy to say just because he looks like he's like the perfect number two guy, especially when you have Freeman in the in the three hole with the righty lefty thing that that the Braves like to employ. So uh, that seems obvious. We'll see what happens. So that's probably the most obvious place to put it, even though we are getting ahead of ourselves. And uh, look, you, you, he's not a middle infielder, so if you can't play, you can't hit second for Ryan Snick if you're, if you're not a middle infielder. That's, that's, Can he that's hit the ball? Can he hit the ball on the ground to the opposite field? That qualifies you to bat second in uh, for this team right now. I mean, Daniel Castro hit, hit number two in the lineup for the Atlanta Braves <laughs> fairly recently. So that's your boy. Uh, yes, the legend himself. Um, uh, elsewhere in the mailbag, real quick here, uh, Tim Bostic. This is the question that I actually got more than once, but I'll, I'll shout Tim out uh, for his specific one. Did, do you think that there's anything mental with Freddie Freeman when Matt Kibbs in the lineup versus when he's not? This is sort of the, lineup, the great lineup protection question that of all time. Uh, his uh, Tim's thesis is that Freeman looks better and more comfortable when Kemp is behind him in the lineup. Mm-hmm. I will say I'm not a, I'm not a believer in this, um, really, in the grand scheme. It does happen sometimes, yeah. but I wonder if you see anything that I'm not seeing. No, it's one of those things where unless you're a professional baseball player of a long time and you have an opinion on it, it it's easy for us to say one way or the other. Yes. Um, personally, I'm not a big believer, and I think if you're a good hitter and you're seeing the ball well, you're going to hit the ball regardless of who's hitting behind you. Um, yeah, it's tough for us to, you know, <laughs> tough for the the bloggers to say. Um, but sure, if, if if Freddie feels better in the lineup whenever Kemp's behind him and he's hitting well, then, you know, go for it. Great. Um, but I think Freddie's just such an otherworldly hitter. It doesn't matter who's behind him. Um, you know, he, he's going to do something to the ball, whether or not Matt Kemp's batting fourth or not. With you uh, 100% on that, uh, last thing for today's podcast, the uh, shorter one because I am dead tired, I will admit, on the record. Uh, but the last question comes from uh, at simplyb42 on Twitter. 
And he asks, which veteran has surprised you the most with how well they've played this season? This is also a question we've gotten multiple times, but one I thought about answering last mm. week, so we'll do it again here. A couple of candidates here, so uh, who would you say is the most surprisingly uh, good veteran uh, this year? I think it's both of the catchers, especially Kurt Suzuki, who when that signing went on or was announced, I was like, really? Like that That's the best backup catcher we're going to have for Tyler Flowers? But um, both Flowers and Suzuki have been incredible this year. Um, I was watching the the Rockies broadcast over the weekend, and um, I think they're first in batting average, third or no, third in batting average, first in on base percentage. Um, I think second in homers, uh, really, and and both call a pretty good game. And Tyler Flowers' uh, pitch framing metrics are off the charts this year. Um, so both the catchers have been huge saviors for the team. It's, it's kind of crazy if you think about it, how regardless of who's catching for the Braves, they always seem to have a good catcher. Even that year when AJ Przinsky was like 38, uh, I think it was 2015 where he hit like 300 all year long. Um, they just find a way to, to get good catching. And that's obviously such an important position on the field. Um, so definitely flowers and, and Suzuki not to steal both guys from you, but um, both of them have been really, really good this year. Yeah, I, I mean, Suzuki's probably the answer just because he has literally a career high WRC plus by a wide margin, and he's almost 34 years old. Like, yeah. that's, I mean, Flowers was really good last year. He's been better this year. That's definitely a big surprise. But I think Suzuki uh, individually just kind of overachieving. Also, I mean, I wouldn't sleep on Brandon Phillips for me. I don't think Phillips is the answer, but the fact that he is uh, posting a six year high in OPS. This yeah. year is uh, pretty shocking, at least to me, as someone who was down on him coming into the year. So I will uh, I will eat plenty of curl on Phillips being a uh, productive everyday second baseman. I didn't see that happening. So uh, obviously he's been he's been he's been playing third base more recently. But the fact that he's been uh, not, I mean, he's not been outstanding or anything like that. But you know a seven fifty four no. OPS is fine. That's kind of what you wanted from him. Yeah. And again, it, it's a, it's a six year high, which is. Pretty crazy for a guy who was really, very really good for a long time. Uh, he's not that he's not that guy anymore, but uh, he can he can still play. Yeah, and he was basically free. I mean, the Reds I mean, paid yeah, that's the crazy to thing. go away, and considering the just the circumstances with Sean Rodriguez and his offseason car accident, uh, you know, Brandon his uh, his WRC plus two years ago was ninety seven. His WRC plus last year was ninety three, and his WRC plus right now is ninety seven. Um, so he's been remarkably consistent. He's he's a good one year fill in. I, I can't imagine he has a role next year, but uh, again, yeah, since he was free. Um, it was a good one year fill in option at, at second and now third. Yeah, uh, I don't, I still think Suzuki is the answer out of all of them, but uh, yeah, Phil's is yeah, good. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right, Scott, well, uh, if you have anything to plug, man, get it out there. Uh, always tell people where they can find you on Twitter as well, but uh, anything coming down the pike for you? Um, this week, of course, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on all of the uh, call ups, which, which should be fun. The rosters are going to expand, and I think by this point, um, even if a player is called up and plays every day, they shouldn't hit the the at bat threshold to to kind of eliminate their rookie status. So, um, should be a lot of good stuff there. It's also um, just a couple days left before uh, the the final trade deadline um, to at least be playoff eligible. The the waiver trade de- trade deadline. Um, so we might see a deal come through. Something like that would be fun. Uh, maybe a Brandon Phillips or maybe one of the relievers might be able to sneak through. I know R. A. Dickey uh, might be able to give you know at least eat some innings for a contending team. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter at Scott Coleman 55. Uh, as always, you can follow me there for all kinds of shenanigans. 
um, including Game of Thrones, which was wonderful tonight. I won't spoil anything, but it was it was good tonight. If you haven't seen it yet, yeah, please don't spoil anything. People will get really really mad at us. Um, if they, they oh, you get it. hate hate mail for spoiling Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's that's the one show in 2017 that's like uh, taboo. You can't can't spoil that because you'll uh, catch some fire, Scott. Well, uh, I appreciate it, man. Uh, please follow. That's for everybody else. Please follow the uh, the show. Uh, by subscribing on iTunes, all those fun things, SoundCloud. Uh, also follow the site, TalkingChop.com. I TalkingChop on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, we'll always be here, even if the Braves aren't terribly exciting. In terms of the on-field product, uh, we are trying to crank some stuff out. Our minor league guys do great stuff, etc., etc. So thanks for listening, as always, everybody. We'll be back again next week. Enjoy yourself as we head into September.